welcome back to the Vet Space Ireland podcast with your hosts, myself, Michelle McGuire. And I'm Hazel Mullins. And on today's podcast, we have Dr. Stephen Martin, who is a European specialist in small animal surgery. So we're very excited to have him and his uh, name on Instagram is the Irish Pet Surgeon. Hello, Stephen, and welcome to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. How are you today? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, we're very excited to have a good chat with you and find out all there is to know about Dr. Stephen Martin and being a, surge, or a spe- European specialist in small animal surgery. So um, no, thank no you very much. <laughs> no clinical <laughs> questions. No, 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 no. No, no. It's all about you. But um, tell us all about your veterinary journey so far, Stephen, and where it all began. Um, yeah, how far back do you want to go? I guess, I suppose, like... Wherever you want. I- like most vets I know it's probably something that started out very young like it I wanted to be a vet but I knew what a vet was um we weren't from we weren't farmers ourselves but I grew up in East Cork um just outside Middleton um and I always would have been on farms around neighbours and stuff and I you know it was always exciting when the vet came out and getting to herd cattle and watch a TB test and stuff and I suppose that's where I was interested in it um always wanted to do it didn't get the points through my leave insert did a biochemistry degree in UCC graduated there um was kind of set to maybe go to the UK or uh Eastern Europe to train sat the gam sat and got into UCD so I ended up doing I think I was the last kind of cohort of the five-year graduate program in UCD before they started their four-year graduate entry program so yeah I qualified in 2013 from UCD um whatever it was middle of June um and then went straight to the UK to do a rotating internship in a referral hospital in Cheshire just outside um Chester stayed there spent my 12 months there um and then moved down to the Midlands to Derby did a I think it was about 20 months I spent there doing a kind of a combined out of hours first opinion emergency job with um, like a, a regular first opinion job. So we did like a week of days, week of nights, week off. Um, so that was a really good experience. Um, but I, I always knew I wanted to specialise. I had kind of starting out in vet school. My plan was mixed practice, large animal practice. I had a, a massive interest in randomly exotic pets and zoo animals um thought that i might like to do something with that and did an externship in my final year in the toronto zoo hospital um and i suppose most people do those and find out it's what they love and i did it and kind of three weeks into my four weeks there i kind of thought maybe not um (laughs) like super cool really interesting but I don't know it just it wasn't what I, I had kind of expected I suppose and it was a really good way to see that to you know have boots on the ground for a month with the people that do it um, and then I just really enjoyed my surgery rotation going through final year in UCD um, and I had done I, I had randomly just applied for a, an internship in the UK in a hospital I'd never been to um, went over and did a, a visit for a day like a working interview and just absolutely was overwhelmed by the place. I thought it was the best place ever. Um, yeah, and that's how I kind of got into the internship role there. Um, and that really sowed the seed because it was an internship where there was four 
um, boarded orthopedic surgeons, three boarded soft tissue surgeons, an an imaging team, interventional cardiology, internal medicine. You know, it was like private practice specialty on a scale I'd never seen in Ireland because there there still isn't, there wasn't that scale of hospital here. Um, And I guess just working with some of the surgeons there as an intern, they were really encouraging. So when I was working in Derby then, I was always keeping an eye on what was happening at home with internships because I had a girlfriend back in Dublin and I wanted to try and come home. And if I was going to do training, do it here. Um, and yeah, I came back and did a second internship in UCD. So I did a, a small animal surgery internship and just kind of two thirds of the way through that, they opened a residency position and I think that's the right place, right time. Um, I, was, I applied and I got in. So that was middle of 2016 so yeah in ucd now the residency is a four-year um it's a combined doctorate program with your european residency wow. so, so i did my four years there um finished well went from having a girlfriend to a fiance to a wife and <laughs> well, i'm glad that worked out <laughs> had, had three kids during the residency um and then yeah finished the residency in what years are now? Yeah, the middle of 2020, and then passed my boards last year. Wow, we wow, wow! Yeah. I don't even know where to start. There's so much. Are you bored there. now that you're not um, <laughs> in the middle of a, of like extreme study? Yeah, maybe if I hadn't had the three kids, I'd have time to be bored. But planted <laughs> the fire. Oh my god! So it was basically wow. Stephen. Well, you always want to be a vet, so but it was basically your surgical rotation in UCD that said do you know what I'm going to think about doing a uh, an internship and it all went from there then the residency yeah, I suppose like most of the vet students I still meet like we see we vet students in practice all the time and yeah I ask everyone what do you think you're going to do and like without fail the answer is oh, I'll, I'll do a year in mixed practice and see what I like and I suppose I was coming at it from the perspective of I started vet school at 23 when they were all graduating at 23. Yeah. So I kind of had, maybe I didn't have to, but I felt like I had to have more of a, a direct path to where I wanted to go. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. feel like I could flew around for a few years and decide what fitted. So yeah, going through the, the rotations, I really enjoyed, like I really enjoyed large animal surgery. I really enjoyed small animal surgery. I just didn't think I had the background to have any, into the horsey world or the large animal surgery side of things and I really enjoyed the small animal surgeons there was a, a locum working in, U, in UCD at the time who was super like really laid back really really good at his job just kind of someone you'd look at and go yeah that's pretty cool I'd really like to try and get to there uh, still trying <laughs> I'd say we can safely say you, you you've gotten there at this point <laughs> yeah congratulations though that's some journey yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's only when you kind of stop and look back and you think geez yeah that was a lot in well I've done a lot years, whatever yeah. yeah oh no that's class um well done Stephen so you kind Very of inspiring yeah you kind of mentioned it there but like what would you know for any budding um graduates now or you know vets who are out maybe a year and they're thinking about where where they're going to go like positives and negatives I suppose of specializing you know what what advice would you would you recommend would you say if you know what you want to do go for it oh yeah like I suppose it 
you could trot out all the cliches you want here about, you know, going for your dream and achieving your goal and, you know, manifest it and it'll happen. Like nobody's going to give you advanced training if you're looking for it. Yeah. You know, I would say to the students and the interns that we work with all the time, you know, the to a person, they all say, I'd love to specialize or I'd love to try this. Go for it. Like I'm no smarter or better than, you know, technically better than probably any other vet in practice anywhere. I just, I got very lucky, you know, opportunities came my way. Um, and, and that's what I'd say to people. Like if, if you're not in the draw, you're not going to win the prize. So yeah. I mean, there's, there's times it doesn't feel like a prize. Like going through a residency, so laugh at people, you know, when you'd have the really heavy days or weeks and people would say, this is what you won. Like, this is the prize. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can I give a pat? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel like a prize doing a hundred hour week. Yeah. Um, I no, think that's we- a, I like that um, saying, I know you said the cliches, but I like what you said there. No one's going to just offer you advanced training. Do you know, like that's um, very simply put, but like, it makes perfect sense. I stayed on in UCD for six months or so after I finished my residency as a staff member and they were opening a residency and there was 76, 77 applicants for one surgical residency position. Wow. And the applications now are like more competitive than I would ever have a chance of getting it. You know, even five years ago, like the applicants with PhDs, multiple publications, you know, three, four internships in some cases, master's degrees, like incredibly qualified people competing for one job or one training position. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're asking advice to people who want to do it, do it. Like make a list of what you need to do and start ticking boxes. It's, it's not easy, you know, it's not supposed to be, but it shouldn't be, you know, pure hardship either. You know, the training yeah. is fun. The environment is fun. The learning is really enjoyable, you know, and you come out the other side of it with a skill set that makes you, I won't say desirable to an employer, but you come out the other side with the skill set that, you know, you can take to lots of places. So that's one of the big advantages. Mm-hmm. Very good. Wise words there. Yeah, I'm just here, like, in, in thinking back, you know, to my I went to Nottingham myself and it was always very much a thing that it was encouraged to specialize and I think I've said this before in the podcast and I didn't specifically but now I'm kind of at a stage where I am you know kind of chosen you know I suppose cows and and dairy practice is kind of my specialty and it's it's I don't know if this stage of my life I could you know, but I'm 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 doing my little bits. You know, I'm doing my cert and doing that, doing that kind of thing. So yeah. it's all what you can achieve and what you can kind of fit around life and everything, isn't it? So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and uh, I think it's interesting you say that there was kind of this drive to specialize because I didn't yeah. feel that that was pushed on us or like definitely in UCD it was always there as some people do this, but it was never you know sold as the way to be successful. Because like it, it's not a measure of success; it's just a different job, you know. Mm-hmm. A GP, a surgeon, an anaesthetist, a dermatologist, whatever. Just we're all in the same field doing slightly different things. Um, yeah, I suppose it, it's one of those tricky ones. I never, 
like it wasn't the goal to be a specialist in something. The goal was to enjoy what I was doing. And there's a few different ways you can do it. Like you mentioned certs, diplomas, you could do a PhD, go down the research route, go down the education route, go teaching it. I think it's just one of the other options. Like I enjoy what I do as a very heavy caseload. Um, we get to interact with a lot of students, student nurses, interns are a great part of the job, you know, because they're kind of that in between where a lot of the interns we would work with are a year out, maybe two years out, and have kind of realized that they want to dip their toe in the water and see what especially hospital feels like. And it's some people hate it, you know, that's the reality in any situation. Some people love it. Lots of people are curious about it. We have in the hospital and I work in um, out in Mead, like we've big, huge theater windows and you can see even the clients outside that are, you know, they're embarrassed to be watching, but they're curious and they're walking up and down slowly past the windows trying mm. to watch. And so <laughs> one of those things. Everyone's interested. Very cool. Oh, do you ever like pretend to like cut off your hand or anything? when they're Unlikely, Sorry, that's a... I've given you a few ideas there now, Stephen, you know, for next time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was just going to say, like, your day-to-day now, what is it, like, have, is it, what are your general surgeries that you're doing? And I know you said about the students there as well, so, like, talk through your typical day now in hospital. Um, is it nine to five? No. <laughs> okay. um, it's, so we do kind of, Eight to half five, six would be an average day. Um, Monday to Friday. Me and Laura do a one and two on call at the moment because we're the two surgeons there and the caseload is heavy. It's just my days and Laura's days would be a little bit different because she's the hospital one of the hospital directors, so she'd have a lot of business admin to do. My admin is reports to clients, histo reports, you know, the, the client side of things. But I typically consult two days a week, um, operate three days a week. A, a consulting day has consults from kind of 8.30 to 1 or 2. And there's always something in theatre in the afternoon. So we, we were only talking about it the other day. I think since November, there's only been one consulting day where I haven't had a fracture or a spine or something in the afternoon after consults. And then an operating day varies. You know, it could be I try to book in four cases a day, three days a week. Um, some days it's three. Most days it's five. Some days it's six or seven, depending on the on-call. Oh. Um, probably 50-50 split between routine and non-routine. So um, today was a fracture in a puppy uh meningioma, brain tumour, removal in a cat, two TPLOs. So that was four for today. And then the call about the spine that's going to come tomorrow morning and tomorrow is another cruciate, an elbow scope, medial patellar luxation, an amputation with an osteosarcoma. And there'll probably be another email about a spine or a fracture or a, a trauma and then I, I, I tend to consult Monday, Friday and operate Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and then sometimes I take an annual leave day, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday to mind the girls. Oh, very good. Wow. Sounds wow. like really interesting <laughs> cases. Yeah. 
Jeez. And is there anything, um, any particular procedure that you might do a lot of that you're like, that you, that's your favorite? Or is there any particular that you're like, geez, not another TPLO. <laughs> looking at these. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just for the crack. It's a weird one because I really enjoy fractures. Like I like putting, I, like, I enjoy fractures. I like the kind of the challenge of reconstructing them and getting them properly repaired. Um, there's days when I hate them. <laughs> we seem mm. to see a, a massive amount of humeral condylar fractures, Y fractures, T fractures, um, lots in Frenchy puppies, lots in older Springer Spaniels. And I enjoy them, but it's nice to enjoy them when you start them at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're not under massive pressure. But when it's tacked on to the second half of the day and it's four o'clock and you're starting something that could take two hours or four hours, that's when you kind of would say, yeah, maybe, maybe today was not the best. But um, no, I, I generally I like how I put my hand to most things. You know, I, I definitely know my limitations and there's far better surgeons at lots of things than I am. But I really enjoy, you know, trauma repair, fracture repair. Um, yeah, I, I can't say there's anything. Maybe when I used to do dentals in general practice, that used to really be the thing <laughs> that I hated. But, <laughs> but, now I, but now I enjoy it as part of surgery. So. <laughs> we'll give you that one. That's fair enough. That is fair enough. Yeah, yeah. and it is really, you know, obviously, did you, were you into like, I don't know, Meccano and things when you were like growing up and I always kind of think that you know it's not a stereotypical thing but a lot of you know boys and their toys and fractures yeah, and Lego. stuff like that yeah Lego. if I just face it still by Lego <laughs> yeah Lego is so expensive though I'm always looking at the Star Wars stuff because I'm a space geek and like the price of it is crazy <laughs> Hazel's like, oh my god. Whereas I would literally rather pull my eyes out than do I don't think I've ever fixed a fracture in my life. Actually, only like in calves, like just hope for the best. But uh, it just, yeah, just ever. Even though I would, I love soft tissue stuff. But yeah, it just. uh, And then you get some people that love it. I think it depends as well, very heavily on you know the equipment you've available, because fixing a fracture with limited resources is really stressful yeah. fixing a fracture with all the the nice kit available and for me at least that takes a lot of the stress out that I'm not in there relying on one plate and six screws that are you know in a, a peel pack yeah. we're lucky and I, and I think that that's probably understated by a lot of people that when you do specialize you're generally end up working in places you know, where you're spoiled for choice with your instruments and your implements. So it, it makes the work that little bit more, I won't say easy, but it makes it more doable. It makes it a little bit less stressful and volume as well. Like if you're fixing 10 fractures a week or a month, you get comfortable with them, you know, whereas you dread the thought of, the, you know, in practice, if you've one fracture, you know, six months, maybe enjoy, excuse me, maybe enjoy it. Maybe it, maybe you really don't. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Um, where are we now, Hazel? We're at some of the stickier questions now, um, Stephen. We, I suppose we ask everybody, because um, it's kind of what Fit Space is about, what do you, do you think, in your opinion, some of the challenges may be facing the veterinary industry at, at present? Yeah. I don't know, I guess. I'm what 
nine, ten years qualified now, and it feels like it's even changed in that space of time in terms of when we graduated, there was a very independent mindset and everyone went to a mixed practice in the West or the North or somewhere cut their teeth away from people they knew and then came back closer to home and people I don't say there was different camaraderie but the challenges now I think are are, I think a lot of them are financial for people you know it's if you want to live somewhere urban you might not have the, the income or the salary to allow that. You might not have the time to enjoy living somewhere urban if that's where you want to be. If you're living somewhere more rural, you might feel isolated because the, the supports might not be there. I, I guess that's an age-old discussion that I heard as a, a child from vets at home. You know, The older vets used to come out and complain about working 100 hours a week for six months of the year and not seeing their kids growing up. I think that's gone, but it seems to have been replaced by a different set of challenges. You know, people, I think a lot of younger vets now see less opportunity for buy-in to practices. They don't see the, you know, the career pathway that might have been there for the generation 20 years ahead of us. And that hasn't been replaced by anything different, you know. I, I don't know, I'm probably after going off on a tangent there now. No, no, no I think it's perfect here. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it's something that probably that no one else has said as well. So it's it's an interesting point. And I would be the same generation. I'm 2013 like you as well, yeah. Stephen. And I would say like I would have thought like not much of, would change in nine years, but I think a lot has. Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. Like even, you know, where I did my internship in the UK was a big independent referral hospital. It's now part of a huge corporate chain with all of the other previously independent hospitals that are now all branches of the same corporate chain. And like, I don't think that's good or bad. I don't know if it's a challenge or not, but it's a big difference. And I think one of the challenges maybe is that the industry seems to be changing more rapidly than people are able to keep up with. When you visit home or you meet people at home, the question is also, did you open your own practice? Are you going to open your own practice? Are you a partner in a practice? The answer is no. Like I, I work for a, a very good practice, and I've, you know, a, what I think is a nice setup and a nice deal and a job that I really enjoy. But I think that's a big change that happened because maybe coming out of vet school, I would have thought, yeah, I could open a practice in ten years, or I could buy into a practice in ten years, and it just seems like it it changed so quickly that that potential. Uh, hasn't been removed from people because you know there's always going to be the argument that if you want to go and do it do it but i think the the feasibility has changed for people yeah and i'm sure there'll be people that wildly disagree with that and some people that might agree with it um but i suppose from my perspective that's one of the changes i see most prominently Mm. the other thing i think is people who speaking from i suppose a specialization perspective one thing I noticed, I see mentioned a lot on some of the Facebook chat, especially in the UK groups, is how people feel that there isn't a pathway to specialise that they would want. Um, you know, a lot of people feeling that they may want to specialise in medicine or surgery or anaesthesia, but because the pathway to specialisation is so narrow, 
with the European systems where you have to do a structured residency. They don't allow modular, modular learning like maybe the certificate pathway does. People see that as a barrier to their progress. And from speaking to friends who talked about specialising, I think from a female perspective, it seems like a lot of the girls that I would be friends with who may have considered specialising felt that their opportunity to do it was way too narrow for them. You know, you have to do it before children. It's too difficult to do it after children. You can't have children during the training because the training systems don't allow for it. And I'm sure there are training scenarios that allow for it. But, it, you know, for, for people who want to specialise, I think now a lot of the offput is down to the, the inflexibility that's perceived. But I know the EBVS are trying to address that and allow more modular training in some specialties. So I think that's going to change. That's good. That's great news, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the days are gone now where, you know, if we want to keep uh, talent uh, in the industry, we have to we have to make ways for women, especially to be able to have a family and a career. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. should, sure. shouldn't be one or the other if you're you know if that's what what your focus is and it's sad that that's the case at the moment but hopefully they will yeah about that so to change the tune maybe we might ask you Stephen what do you do outside of veterinary to unwind and for your own well-being apart from minding your three children <laughs> I not as much as I should <laughs> um yeah, like I have three children under four. Um, well, so there's not there's not much free time. We've a four year old and two year old twins, so it's pretty hectic. Um, my, well, Adam, Adam on our last podcast, that was his uh, wind down was coming home and playing with the kids, and it was lovely because that was his. He said that's the way he unwinds. It's just oh yeah, like I, I probably like it's probably stating the obvious to say that that's a really positive thing like mm -hmm. there's no way you can come home hung up on something that happened in work an hour ago when you run in the door or when you walk in the door and three of them are running at you and it's <laughs> lovely to have an hour or so you know every evening after work messing around before bed and hopefully get out in the morning before they wake up and want to go with you but <laughs> mm. no I, I guess I like it I like things outdoors I Stand in theatre on a day like today, looking out, thinking maybe I should have done large. <laughs> today was a good day on yeah. the sunny days, yeah. And then in January, when it's sleeping, I think, yeah, this is the right call. Um, <laughs> yeah, like at the weekend, I try and take the girls out somewhere, probably as much unwind as I get at the moment. Yeah, pretty boring. <laughs> Me and a couple of friends, all right, said that we might we'd make a bet with each other that we'd try and finish a triathlon before the end of the year because we all got so unfit um, over the last two years sitting around and not being able to go anywhere so that's something to take some focus over the next six or eight months hopefully oh so well, that's good good to have yeah, a challenge good. yeah the y'all iron man when he you know down the road from your home place I don't think I've for that. <laughs> <laughs> just shame myself and my family <laughs> Be a bit local, all right, I suppose. Too close to home. <laughs> Too close to home. Stephen, what is your funniest veterinary moment to date? Or a funny veterinary moment that you can share with people if they're having a bad day next week listening to this? I don't know. Um, 
If I had more time to prepare, I probably would have been <laughs> so sorry, poor Stephen. I'm so sorry to everybody who's listening. I did email the questions to Stephen, but we had some technical glitch and he didn't actually receive them. So this is all off the cuff. He's doing very well tonight. Very well. There's all, I mean, there's always this, the ones everybody probably has with the, the weird farm body removals and the weird things that are removed from dogs and cats. And the, we, we love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hit us with that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh God. Why did I say that? No, I can't them, think of anything. Some of them can't be broadcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always the the toys, the kinder eggs, the little toy aliens that when you open a stomach and they're smiling up at you, freak you out a little bit. Um, and most of them are clients, to be honest. Like, I'm probably like everybody said I wanted to be a vet because I liked animals. And the more, the longer I do it, the more I enjoy the clients over their pets. You know, obviously the animal side of things is still the job and it's still really fun. Um, it's still really rewarding. But I suppose you, the longer you're doing it, the more self-assured you get in your dealings with clients and what you can say to certain people and what you can't and what they'll what they'll say to you. So like I was saying at the start, that guy from the West the other day who told me I'm wasted as a surgeon and I should be pulling calves. That's <laughs> work. Um, meet them all the time for some reason or, you know, I'm not a small guy, so people are always shocked when the surgeon who's looking after their chihuahua or their kitten is <laughs> 20 stone and six foot tall. Um, oh, well, wow. breaking I, I stereotypes here, Stephen, aren't you? You know, exactly. Yeah, do my bit. Um, <laughs> your bit. I, I, I honestly couldn't think of a, like a, an individual story that I would pick out, at least not that I could tell with them definitely giving away the identity of the person oh shoot okay that's fair enough <laughs> you know it, it's client interaction it's fun like and you you get the the really off the wall stuff you know it's not in a bad way you know everybody is different and you've seen it yourself in practice you you meet all sorts um nobody's do you ever have bad. like a do you ever have a shooting or anything like that removing like Gone, not, like... not in Ireland. Um, no. I haven't. Anyway. They do happen. Um, mm. We had a, an interesting one actually a couple of weeks ago. A dog that had eaten a kebab stick. I think <laughs> in November had eaten kebabs off a barbecue. Mm. And I came in to see Kira, the ECC clinician that worked with this bicavitary fusion. Um, and on CT, the kebab had come through the stomach, gone back cranially through the diaphragm and was stuck in the vena cava in the chest. Oh, so yeah, it's an interesting like that was a, an interesting case to opening the chest and the abdomen to remove the kebab stick from the vena cava. You know, there. So was it a metal a, kebab stick? No, uh, like a bamboo uh, kebab stick. Oh yeah. no way! Cheating, yeah. Mark. Why we? I did a lot of damage. And didn't survive. Still alive, still going strong. Oh, brilliant! Wow. That's I just excellent. So those are, they feel like kind of once in a career things when they happen, but then yeah. it's only been 10 years. Maybe there'll be another few, who knows? No shootings. I saw a couple of, I saw a couple of stabbing cases actually working in the UK. Oh, um, oh gruesome. And mm. like not always malicious, you know, like the dog attacked the owner in the kitchen who happened to be doing the washing up and 
turned around and stuck the knife that was in their hand in their dog. And oh, God. He saw the dog. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, they're not funny stories. They're really... I feel like, like this is taking a bit of a nose. It's taking a turn. <laughs> taking a turn. But you know what? They're exceptional stories. This is completely unscripted. Yes. So this can't go anywhere. <laughs> Anything yeah. can happen. Anything oh, can happen on this podcast. Any tips for our new grads listening, Stephen? I know we kind of touched on a few before, life, but even life tips or life lessons, life lessons or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very simple in my outlook. Like, I think if you want to try it, try it. I don't think there's any, there's, there's no grand wisdom or sage advice for me anyway. You know, I wanted to do something. I was lucky enough that the opportunity came up and I did it. I would say to anybody considering it, even if it's not the cliche or the stereotype or, you know, you think might be conformative go for it you know I, I remember the very start like first day or first week of vet school seeing all the like 18 year old lads that were you know four or five years younger than me on in the start of first year and it was just a competition for who could be the most large animal mixed practice only cattle <laughs> only cattle no small animals no cats and dogs half of those fellas now run small animal practices um I think if you're interested in it, go for it. Like there's, I don't think you need to be any more complex than that. If if it works out, brilliant. If it doesn't, there'll be something else. Yeah. Um, for new grads and for like students, I would say like grasp opportunities. You know, it, it feels like a wasted opportunity when people get to go and see practice somewhere interesting or get to go and do an externship somewhere very interesting or work with somebody very good and waste the opportunity, you know, ask the questions, stay the extra half an hour in the evening to see the emergency coming in, turn up 20 minutes early to prepare for something that might be happening today. Because, you know, if you're prepared for these things, you get so much more out of them than just trying to figure out as it's happening. Um, And like, again, it's probably really basic cliched advice, but, the rest falls into place. You know, if you're doing something you're interested in and you're giving it your best shot, you're not going to fail as far as I'm concerned. That's nice. I like that. That's good advice. I actually got an email today from a vet nurse student who um, was looking for placement in my practice. And like, they were like, oh, I can't come in January next year because I'm going on a, a an externship to like to Norway. And I was like, brilliant I was like that sounds great and it was just great to see that there's like lots of opportunities out there and people are grasping them so it's it's good to hear I just thought I just thought that was linked in quite nicely there to to that and like this is you know with vet nurses as well so it's, it's a, yeah more and more opportunities definitely and like if you go looking for them there's even more than you'd realize you know it's mm-hmm. it's easy to phone around a couple of hospitals in Ireland looking for a placement and you know go to three or four hospitals that are here like there's there's a a lot more around the uk the north states canada castronet why not yeah very good that's great i think that's all of our questions i mean no one really knows because no one's in charge of this podcast but (laughs) thank you thank you so much Stephen, for coming on i think that was really really um great and i think people will really really enjoy hearing you about your story embarrassed to hear it so no it's very inspiring and edited heavily (laughs) (laughs) 
no not a hope <laughs> um thank you so much Stephen and oh, you know nice. thank you so much for coming on and, and I hope everyone got a lot out of this podcast and um thanks again so you never miss an episode and to find out more go to headspaceireland.ie and don't forget to check us out on social media and tag us whilst you're listening to the podcasts we'd love to see it